Genesis 22, 1 to 17. I will read this fairly rapidly. You've heard it. You know it before. Uh, we looked at it this morning in some detail. Remember, we are looking for Christ and the forerunner of Christ, the prefigurer of Christ, the type, if you will, of Christ is Isaac. So remember, Abraham is God, Isaac, Christ, all of those things. Okay, let's I kind of blitz through this so it's on the, uh, the top of our mind. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah, offer him there as a burnt offering upon one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his ass, took two of his young men and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering. He rose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, the incredibly important third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, those two guys, stay here with a donkey. I and the lad will go yonder and worship and will come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he, Abraham, took in his hand the fire. They both of them, and they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here am I, my son. His son said, Behold the fire of the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide himself. And I think that's incredibly important to at least entertain this, that that construction is, is reflexive. God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them together, they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built an altar there, laid the wood in order, bound Isaac his son, laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham put forth his hand and took that knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham! And he said, God said, don't lay your hand on this lad or do anything to him. For now, I know that you fear God, or you have learned that you fear God so much that you have not withheld. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. Abraham went and took the ram, that's an active verb, and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Substitution, the death of Christ. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mountain of the Lord it shall be provided. On what mountain was it provided? It wasn't Moriah, Mount Calvary, the Temple Mount, where the sacrifice is made. On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided, Golgotha. Calvary, Jehovah will provide. <clears throat> the
the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, there's no one higher than he by whom he could swear, by myself I have sworn. And remember, in the making of a covenant, it's a peace treaty, and we still have this form today. A war is fought, the victors meet with the losers and say, this is how it's going to be. You're going to do this and this and this, and you're not going to do that or that or that. The terms may be negotiated kind of, sort of, but I think of the Nuremberg situation being World War II. There wasn't a whole lot of negotiation. Y'all knock it off, or we're going to just kill all of you. And they said, oh, we've seen what you did without really being angry about it. I think we'll, yeah, what would you like? <clears throat> you see the, the word covenant defined a, a number of places as an agreement between a greater and a lesser. The covenant from God is not made between the greater and the lesser. He imposes the terms of the covenant. He did it here. He did it in, in uh, the garden. He does it for us. God doesn't save us because we've kind of negotiated this. Well, you know, I really don't want to give you the seventh day, but if you'll give me wealth, ain't how it works. By myself I have sworn, says Jehovah, because you've done this, you have not withheld your son, your only son. I will indeed bless you. There are rewards for biblical obedience. And some of them are just common sense. If you don't do the things that God says don't do, and if you do do the things that he says do, you're living in harmony, in consonance with the very nature of the God whose, whose nature is reflected in the creation. Of course your life is going to work better. But God in his mercy doesn't just give us a bye and make life just all wonderful and smooth. We still have a lot to learn. And so bad things happen. We're moaning. Ain't, ain't it awful? And a year or five or 20 later, you say, thankful God took us through this now here. I will bless you and multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and as the sand on the seashore, and your, watch this, your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. I want to stop there for just a moment. This is the picture of after the war. The city has been defeated. The, uh, the aggressing army has come in, defeated the city, and they go, as in Nuremberg, where was that, that piece of stuff arranged in the Rathaus, the city house. In the seat of government, this is what this gate of their enemies, that's where the elders met. I mean, we keep having that over and over. You've seen it and sung it and so on. <clears throat> this is the picture of the victorious army of Christ. Having defeated sin, Satan, death, and hell, overcome in that place of power, they talk to your descendants will possess the gate of their enemies having been successful in the war. Not us being successful on our own, but Jesus Christ having won the victory. And by your descendants shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed me. The victorious army 
also goes through the valley of the shadow of death as we sing in the 23rd Psalm that you are with me there. Whatever it is that Satan is doing through the bad guys, the Lord is with us in all of those things. <clears throat> all the nations of the earth need to hear that. Otherwise, life is totally meaningless. And rich people find that out. I can tell you uh, out of some personal experience with some folks in some of the cults where you save yourself. You had to do this and this and this. And they do it. And about age 50, they say, and they leave those, some of those cults. They've done it all that they were told to do, and there's no satisfaction. They know this isn't Jesus with us. He wins the victory. We live in obedience to him because you have obeyed my voice, all the nations of the earth. And I hope we never forget the Lord, every nation. Our job isn't even well begun. <laughs> well, maybe so. I don't know. It's certainly not complete, is it? Uh, you can look around in our own country, let alone other places. We have not evangelized successfully yet. And so our job is still not finished. So Abraham returned to his young men. They arose and went. There is so much here. Like I say, it started off as one, later became four. And, and now I'm not sure how many more it will be. <laughs> I'm sorry, it won't be all tonight. We talked a little bit about the cost of our salvation, the cost of missions, the cost of a Christian life, and some of that's financial, some of it's time, some of it's energy, some of it's love. Lots of things, okay, lots of ways to pay it, but there is a cost. But we need to put that into some context. What did it cost God the Father to save your life or mine? This was not a pain-free transaction. Verse 1, we'll go back. And it came to pass. It came to pass after a lifelong sanctification of Abraham. He, it went beyond uh, God's sovereign election. Well, I'm sorry, I'm not saying that. By God's sovereign election, Abraham had gone from a pagan to a paragon of Christian virtue. He had gone from being an astrologer. Why do you think God took him out and said, look at the heavens. They were already, those Babylonian folk were already astrologers, and it had a great deal to do with their religion. And he's very familiar with that. He's too familiar. He's an astrologer. He is an idolater. He is an adulterer. Not exactly the qualifications we're looking for, <laughs> uh, looking for in one who would be a leader in the church. God looked on this one, and He changed him. He didn't say, "Oh, just it's okay." Over a lifetime of hard things, and you know this account, a bunch of the bad things that have happened to him in his life. He took him to a holy life of close personal relationship with Jehovah. That close personal relationship is called trust. Who are you going to believe? The world with all their changing truths or the unchanging Word of God. He had come to such a close relationship with Jehovah, his Father, that he could put 
Jehovah first. And he had been such a successful parent that his song, his son, didn't fight the old man off. He allows himself to be bound, and surely he had to help the old man get him up on the altar. There is trust. There is obedience. The young kid hasn't walked with God as long as his father, but he's seen the faith of his family, this faith of his father. And it affects him so much that he willingly submits, having not heard or seen yet. The Christian life, somewhat like uh, Abraham's life, is a life of sanctification. Become, uh, that's a nice religious word, isn't it? What does sanctified mean? More holy. Sanctus is holy, from which we get saint. And some people kind of denigrate that word. Oh, he's a holy roller. He's, he's just trying to be a saint. Uh, you've heard it. I've heard it. Use a, a beautiful word in a very negative way. The Christian life is a life of sanctification, becoming more saint-like, having put away more sin, having taken on more holy, righteous habits and activities and thought patterns and actions and activities, a life becoming more holy. Oh, yeah, I remember as a kid. You're just a bunch of holy Joes. Well, I, I hope so. <laughs> That's a part of it. Less sinful. So many of my young guys, and I'm talking here, uh, not, not of the Marine Corps, <laughs> soldiers, <laughs> whose goal... <clears throat> I'm the baddest profanity of the bunch. Proud of being bad. Proud of thumbing their nose at God. Proud of disobeying. We can go on and on. You can preach that one to yourself any day, can't you? More holy, less sinful, thus closer and closer friends with the biblical Jesus. And where does this go? Someday you're going to breathe your last. And as a child of God, I think you'll be glad to. Glad that's over. Because the next thing you're seeing him face to face. And to be with me that where I am. <laughs> Not true, but I kind of picture this. Somebody in heaven saying, about time you got here, boy. That's the end of this kind of Christian life. Active belief and translating that into the activities. And so we live this kind of life until we see him face to face and hear him speak to us. What time do we start? Okay, so we're okay. You, you can't ever trust a soldier in, in this one. <clears throat> and I, I should ask, what time are we supposed to quit? <laughs> that may be more relevant. The first verse, God says he's going to put Abe to a test. You test ore. You assay it, don't you? You grind it up into fine stuff. You wash it out with water. Uh, does somebody know for sure? Before they assay the gold, do they uh, put that in heat to, to uh, extract the gold from the ore? I'm not sure of the whole process. But it is a test of the ore. Is this worth mining? Is this worth keeping? He's going to put Abraham to the, to the test to assay his soul. God already knew 
but Abraham didn't. God did this so that Abraham would come to know himself, that he would come to see his own salvation and sanctification. It didn't come from saying, I'm a Jew. It doesn't come from saying, oh, I'm a Christian. I've had how many people say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Watch their life for five minutes and you know it isn't true. Abraham is not going to be left, going to be left to trust that his salvation is a result of him doing something or whatever else so that he would come to know and see his salvation and sanctification as the work of grace, the work of God in calling him and sustaining him so that in the New Testament, which the eternal God had already prepared, God could legitimately use Abraham's life to challenge us by demonstrating what deep abiding faith looks like. I don't know that there is any account anywhere in Scripture, certainly no, where a person is given a greater test. If it be your will, he was fully human. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. I think if there is a parallel to the test of Abraham, it was Christ in the garden. And so again, we're seeing the New Testament <coughs> faith looks like what Abraham did. And we're told that uh, all this was written for us, for our benefit, upon whom the ends of the ages has come. This is not just myth, fairy tale, legend, whatever, and it isn't just history. I mean, I can tell you, history of Egypt has nothing to do with our salvation, does it? You know? But this history of God's faithfulness to Eve, you're going to have a son. All the way down, God's faithfulness. This is written for us. This is true objectively, but it isn't just a factoid. It's deeply personal. If you have not confessed your sin, repented of that, turned away from that, if you have not asked Jesus Christ to pay the penalty for your sin, if you have not asked him to fill you with the Holy Spirit, you are in danger of the hellfire pictured by that fire on which the ram was totally immolated, totally burned up. He's gone. A little picture of hell, and that's what awaits those who would hear this. It comes then with a heavy uh, burden of a message. Finally, this gives great glory to God, this account. It reveals in shadow form God's carrying out of his pre-eternal plan of salvation. I say that pre-eternal within the counsel of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That before time, I can't explain it all. I don't. They agreed that God the Father would elect, the Son would redeem, he would be the one who bleeds and dies on the cross, and the Holy Spirit would apply that. So when you hear the gospel, if, if there be any lost person here, anybody who does not know Christ, now when you hear the gospel, grab onto it. It's the only hope you have 
And remember, you're not resisting the preacher, immaterial. You're not resisting the church, that's immaterial. You're resisting the scripture, and that's serious. More than that, you are rejecting the Holy Spirit, and that's serious. You're rejecting Jesus Christ who died for sin. Rejecting him is serious. You are rejecting God the Father who said, You, you miserable, wretched sinner, I want you. This is indeed a Trinitarian passage, Trinitarian. Let me invite you to, to follow what we see here in Abraham. Give glory to God, for he has revealed in shadow form God's carrying out of his plan. <clears throat> we'll in a moment sing Psalm 89, but would you join me in prayer, particularly for those who may be as I was for years. I was born and bred Covenanter. Knew the Bible. Didn't believe it. Some of you know my younger brother, by the way. Steve was 40, converted. He loved to argue the scripture. He knew it. He knew systematic theology. He knew it. It was here and not here. 44 years. Parents, if you got kids that are not walking with the Lord, don't give up on them. My mother said, I'm ready to die. My last child is walking with me. Parents, God's still in charge. He didn't give you that covenant child. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we seek to give you glory. Lord Jesus Christ, we seek to focus the laser light upon Jesus and the gospel, upon you and your sacrificial death, upon you and that indwelling spirit who speaks to us, pleads with us, gives us the guilt feelings. Sometimes we even feel sorry about our guilt. Thank you that today the Holy Spirit is still powerful. Lord, save us by your grace. Enable us to see Jesus, embrace him, and as Abraham, to be sanctified over time through the good times and the bad, to be moving more and more uh, close to you to live a life more pleasing to you, not so that we have something of which to boast, but so that you, our heavenly daddy, would smile on us. We ask it in the name of Christ for his sake, his reputation, and his church, that worldwide it might be effective in bringing the lost to know Jesus Christ, that your church would grow, your bride would be more holy. And we look forward to that day when we will celebrate communion with you in heaven at the marriage feast of the Lamb. Thank you for the foretaste of that we had this morning. So go with us this week. Enable us to live this kind of life. We ask it in the saving name of Jesus Christ.